Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. The show can be watched live, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, amigos? It's the Prodigy Maker Show, the big one uh, with Chris Lewitt, and... It's great to be back with you guys. We had a video go viral for my little channel uh, just recently on Djokovic and Tsitsipas and whether the, the question was whether the one-handed backhand is near extinction. And I just thought that deserved a little more time to, for discussion and question and answer. And I thought it would make a great topic for this show. Just what's going on with the one-handed backhand at the pro level is the one-handed backhand near extinction and i think the answer is yes it it may be and i'll give you some examples of that maybe some evidence of that and we just want to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of the one-handed backhand i've done some videos on this maybe years back so if you look through the archives of the show this is our 69th show 69th episode so we have a lot of episodes building up here I'm proud of that. But I've talked about strengths and weaknesses, and historically, this has been an age-old debate. You know, there's always people who are still fans and in love with the one-hander, and there's a lot of people who believe the two-hander uh, is is the way to go now in the modern game. So you always have this clash of opinions, and I just like to try to, uh, you know, work through some of the, the different... Uh, work through the debate, talk about the different sides of the debate, and talk about strengths and weaknesses of the one-hander, whether we should be teaching that to young kids growing up now. Is it going to be viable in the future? I mean, these are kind of important questions for tennis players. But uh, where do we begin? So I was watching the Djokovic and Tsitsipas final, and I just think Tsitsipas is now basically the top player in the world with a one-handed backhand. And I don't think it's that great. So it's kind of a weak shot for him. I think it's attackable. I think he's vulnerable on that side in general. And I'm not really a huge fan of his technique, uh, his grip structure, uh, and the way he tactically uses that backhand. Not a, you know, It's not really that explosive a weapon as some one-handers in the past or, or present. I... Uh, Guga comes to mind. Like, I used to love Guga Querton's backhand, Warinka's backhand, uh, Team's backhand, backhands that can be uh, Shapovalov's backhand. Shapovalov's the next guy down on the rankings, number 14. Tsitsipas uh, is top five, maybe three. But you have uh, Federer's gone, so you don't have the shining example of Federer anymore at the top of the game demonstrating that beautiful one-hander of his. And so now, um, yeah, so we're already getting some comments. So uh, to make Musetti switch to a two-hander, right. So there's, this is going to be, I'll get into it. Like what, obviously, some when you have a young kid who really wants to, to do a one-hander, it probably is kind of a crime to force them to have a two-hander. So we'll get into that. But basically, I'd like to submit to you guys some of the evidence that the, the one-hander is fading away here. And I know that there's been predictions of the, the end, the demise of the one-hander in the past, but 
and I I used to discount those those you know the rumors don't believe the the hype or the rumors but now I, I'm feeling like it's possible like it's possible we could see the game with with almost no one handers you know certainly in the next decades you know let's say the next or let's say next fifty years you know it's it's quite possible considering the trend if you just look at the way the game has uh, changed and you look at uh, how many players are using the one-hander now, how many players, I look at it this way, like as a player, you decide what tools you want to bring into battle. And most of the young kids who are playing junior tennis growing up, they don't want to take a one-hander into battle anymore. And I think there are significant, significantly important reasons why that is. We'll get into it. And I'm happy to answer any questions you have about it. But... Why is it that there are no women in the top 100 with a one-handed backhand anymore? I looked that stat up, and actually I was floored. I was shocked to see. I couldn't believe it, like zero. And what does that say about the WTA, WTA tennis? What does that say about the female game? Because if you're a kid growing up, why on earth would you want to have a backhand that nobody else uh, is is? using or finds viable to make it into the top 100. I think that's a, I just think the game of tennis, the game of tennis doesn't need uh, a, a one-handed backhand. Like there's no, there's no requirement for it. And, and, I, and why are we seeing so many players choose to use two hands? What, what, are, what, are they, what are they feeling or what are they seeing? Or is it just that coaches aren't teaching it? Or is it, a lot of people like to blame like the coach's fault or, or, or blame some, some other Element, but I, th I think at some point the players themselves they they feel what they what they need to take into battle. They they have a they have to take a good forehand into battle, a good backhand into battle, and a good serve. And why is it that there's zero players in the top hundred female? Like that is damning evidence. And on the men's side, only twelve to thirteen percent now. Twelve to thirteen at my last count in the top hundred. That's not a lot of players, guys. I mean, you're looking at about 90% of the players are choosing to take a two-hander into battle. I don't think you can just blame the coach. The coaches are part of it. The coaches are choosing what to teach. and uh, But the coaches are ho the development coaches are also trying to determine what is best, what is the best tool to give my, their players to, to, to win in battle. You know, everyone's trying to win. At the pro level, you're trying to win money. You're trying to win big tournaments. You know, there's a lot at stake. And at the junior level, you're trying to win national trophies or international level um, tournaments or trying to develop a top ranking so you can go to a Division I college. So there's a lot at stake for these kids and for these players. And in my mind, the one-handed back, and as, as big of a fan as I am of it, there's a lot of liabilities there. So like maybe we should you know, get into the details of that. But zero women now playing with a one-hander, so that means a hundred out of a hundred two-handers on the women's side, and and only you know twelve, thirteen guys. And a lot of those players, the ones that have it, there's a few other women sprinkled in outside the top hundred. But a lot of those players are not young. Like there's not a lot of next-gen players choosing the one-hander, which is I think more important. Like. Because you can look at the stats and it can be a little bit misleading. If you have a bunch of guys over 30 with the one-hander, that's not 
that's not really very supportive of the one-hander. If all the young top players coming up are playing with two hands and only the old guys have the one-hander, you know, like the Dimitrovs and the Warinkas and and even Team, I didn't realize Team is 29, Team is almost 30. You know, he's not so young anymore. And you got Tsitsipas, who's who's the shining example there. He's the only guy left. You know, yeah. I mean, you can say Musetti defeated Alcaraz, but I mean, Musetti, Musetti's he's the young, he's the only next gen guy, right? He's he's got a sweet backhand. I love his backhand. But I mean, when you compare like like Musetti with Alcaraz, I mean, there's no comparison in in terms of the potential there as, as a player, and and you can't. You're right. Strokes don't make the player necessarily, but when you look at the total evidence out there on tour, there's something going on. I mean, you have. It's like um, you have to look at the trend of of topspin forehands. People used to hit their forehand pretty flat, and for a long or use a con, or use an eastern grip or continental grip. You know, people used to think the continental grip was the most important grip to use, even at the tour level, to have that universal grip. And that's, I mean, no one would argue that the continental grip is better like you should use continental for all your shots nowadays but you know because the game evolves you know and the two-handed backhand has evolved even in and of itself the two-handed backhand technique has evolved and serves have evolved technically forehands have evolved tremendously you know in terms of grip structure in terms of how much topspin players are generating in terms of the amount of windshield wiper and finish on the forehands in terms of the amount of reverse forehands and, you know, things like that. So there's just a lot of technical evolutions. And, and the, the backhand has, the, the transition from one, a one-handed dominant game, the game used to be dominant historically, one-handed players dominant. There used to be 90% plus one-handers on tour. And now that's, that's, that's been completely flipped on its head where there's, there's only there's nine there's ninety ninety percent two handers on the women's tour it's even even worse the 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 way the the percentages have changed you know so uh, you have to look at the overall trend and arc of history to try to determine where the game's going and I think that's really important not just to focus on like one player and say well Warinka beat Djokovic at this tournament or or uh, Tsitsipas has struggled against th this this torn, but when you look at a lot of different players and their matchups, I think you see one of the big weaknesses of the one-handed backhand. So let's start to get into some some of the weaknesses. And then if you if you're a big one-handed fan, you can throw out some of your uh, positives, advantages of the one-hander because I'll, I'd like to talk about those as well. But the biggest weakness probably is is dealing with high balls. And so there's been this huge like train crash, like this this. Um, collision between the modern game which is heavily topspin based especially on the men's side and the one-handed backhand which is not good at handling high balls the shoulder you only have one shoulder so you're not as strong up there you know if you have two shoulders it can help you be stronger on higher balls like you have because you have two arms helping to share the work that's one of the big advantages of the two-hander versus the one-hander. You, you're doing all that work with one arm. It's not easy. And it's more, it's more of a, like an external shoulder rotation versus an internal shoulder rotation with uh, 
with the with what the the left shoulder does on a two-hander so internal shoulder rotation is stronger than external shoulder rotation i was just thinking about the the biomechanics of it you know so you're doing the you're using a lot of your 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 deltoid and you're you're lifting the shoulder with the one-hander and you're using a lot of your rotator you're using slightly different rotator cuff muscles but and you're also external externally rotating your shoulder to hit a backhand and on the four, on the two-hander you have a little more you obviously have both arms working both shoulders working all the musculature of the upper arms working but you're, you're using more internal rotation of the the left arm so if you have a strong left arm that can add a lot to the shot that's one of the reasons why i believe that just biomechanically that you don't have to take as big a swing with two-hander as you do with the one-hander. The one-hander, you have to really wind it up and loop the backswing way across the, the midline of the body to generate uh, equivalent force. You have to really build up a lot of momentum with the long take-back, which is another big disadvantage of the one-hander. So you have this uh, longer swing that's really, that's really uh, an anachronism. It's out of place in time with today's game because the game is so so damn fast the the what's typified the modern game of tennis is is speed the pace of the game is is incredible tony nadal talks about how he can't even recognize the game of tennis today compared to the game of you know when he grew up because the speed is just blindingly fast and so you have this stroke that is a very it's very outdated out of place in time because to make to generate the force on a one-handed backhand, you have to use you have to stretch the the shoulder muscle all the way back and rotate your body and take a really big long wind up to generate force. And you also have trouble on high balls because you just need to have like this bionic arm, like a Gasquet. We're getting some comments about Gasquet. You know, if you look at Gasquet's arm, it's like like a Superman, like a Popeye arm. But you know that that is not easy to handle high balls up there uh, with just one shoulder at work rather than, and one shoulder doing a lot of, there, there's a pretty good amount of external shoulder rotation, which if you know, if you studied anatomy and physiology, external shoulder rotation is typically a lot weaker than internal shoulder rotation. So I think that's one of the big problems with the one-handed backhand. In addition, um, let's just talk about the, the high ball problem. So the game, there's that, this, this huge collision between modern tennis, which is heavily topspin based, and the one-handed backhand, which struggles with high topspin balls just because of the issue of the, you know, the one arm and the, the, the inherent weaknesses with using just one shoulder to do the work. Uh, also, you know, you have the forearm and wrist. You know, it's just, you just have, you don't have as much strength there versus two. You don't have as much stability. Stability is a big issue on the return of serve. Stability is a big issue on those high kicking tops and balls too. So it's not just the strength, but it's also like the racket can be more stabilized when you're using the muscles of uh, both 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 manos, you know, both both uh, both wrists, both forearms, and both shoulders. You know, you, you can you can more easily stabilize the racket on on fast and heavy topspin balls. So, I mean, this is the, one of the inherent benefits of a two-handed backhand. And I think 
probably probably one of the main reasons why players choose it or feel feel they feel it's better they feel it's stronger you know um theoretically by the way it's another it's a reason another potential advantage of the two-hander versus the one-hander is because you you may have fewer injuries i I can't prove that and it's just sort of a theory but hypothetically you know you would have fewer injuries with the two-hander because you're sort of sharing the workload between both arms which i think makes a lot of common sense you know this um this shoulder the rotator cuff muscles the deltoid um all of the muscles of the wrist uh and the forearm they take a lot of abuse in tennis and to to put all that abuse on one arm and uh, one set of those muscles i think is probably crazy i mean just when you think about it from simply from a physiological standpoint you know from a, um, a biomechanical standpoint it's, it's probably crazy to put the all of the loads the you know the forces of tennis of, of modern tennis which is so fast and so powerful to put all of the load and stresses on one set of of muscles on this side you know for me i'm a righty it's probably crazy you know it's probably not well advised now, I'm, I'm not saying that, of course, there's going to be players that want a one-hander, but, but just from a, from a physiological point of view, from an injury prevention point of view, from a, uh, a sports medicine point of view, to, to, to develop, uh, to put all of that stress on just one part of the body is probably not very smart. You know, it's probably better to share the workload and use both sides of the body to uh, to control the ball, to generate force, and to absorb forces, to absorb stresses. It's, that's probably much better in terms of um, your, your injury risk profile. Now, there have been some issues with ulnar, ulnar deviation on the two-handed backhand where players are, are really are, are getting an extreme ulnar deviation, especially with their left wrist. And that's been, you know, sports medicine specialists have been studying that uh, as a as a, an area of concern for two-handed players, but just in terms of the overall workload that um, that a player is uh, experiencing, it makes common sense to me that you'd want to share the work and share the force generation um, between both arms and both sets of muscles throughout the upper arm, not just the shoulder, but all of the musculature of the of the upper body, you know, and. Um, What's nice about the two-hander, just from a, a, a physiological point of view, is you develop more, more uh, parity or equality in the body. You have both set. You're working both sides of the body, like with a medicine ball. You have, you're using the core. You're developing more balance in the muscles of your of your core and your torso and your trunk, and and obviously you're using, you're developing more, uh, balance in terms of. Uh, or more equality in terms of um, the muscles of the upper body, like the arms and even the back, like the latissimus dorsi, and uh, and all of the musculature of the upper body and trunk. You're 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 developing some parity on both sides, some equality on both sides, rather than developing like a huge imbalance. That the one players that play with one hand are are just by definition they're they're developing a huge imbalance because they're using so much of one side of their body just doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of harmony and symmetry and you know what 
sports medicine specialists and phys physiotherapists, physios always talk about trying to create more harmony in the body, more balance in the between the, the musculature on both sides of the body, especially for tennis players. So from that point of view too, there's, there's pr it's a good argument to be made that the two-hander is, is better for the body, you know, just in terms of injury prevention and developing more balance and harmony in the musculature of the body. So it's kind of a, another point of view, but it's more, a little more theoretical because I can't prove that. Um, I don't know if there's any studies. How, how could, there's no study on that that I know of, but probably m makes sense to me. But getting back to the original arguments, high balls and, and, uh, what was the other one? Uh, you have the, the high ball issue. Like, look at the high ball issue. For top players, Federer and Nadal. Nadal versus anyone. Nadal versus Gasquet. I read that Nadal has an 18-0 and 0 record versus Gasquet. Uh, the other issue was the, the large backswing. You know, I, it's, it's, it's clear that the one-hander has tactical issues in the modern game against heavy topspin balls. I mean, it's, it's fundamental. Anytime you play a one-hander, you know you're going to try to play over their back end with heavy spin. It's going to, it's going to prob probably work really well. The kick serve works really well against the one-handed back end. Most smart players know that right away. So you, right, right away, you're going into battle with some liabilities. A lot of young players, they just say, hey, no, I don't want to sign up for that. I don't want to have that liability. I don't want to deal with that. And then some players make the decision, like, they're, art, they're very artistic, they're very creative, and they're like, I love that thing. That thing's beautiful. I don't care if it's got those issues. I'm going to work around those issues and try to make my one-hander uh, really good. But I'm saying those kids are fewer and fewer, and they're o almost always boys now, and they're very, very, very rarely girls. Like, the girls' one-hander just doesn't exist anymore. It's almost gone. It's like, a, like an endangered species. I would say... No, I would say it's like extinct for girls, and the men's one hand, the boys' one hander is like an endangered species. That's kind of where we're at at the moment in the modern game. Uh, so you have the big, the big backswing. How how is that? Let let me talk to you guys about that. The big backswing, like that's really it really bothers me. That large wind up, and it gets back to the physics and the biomechanics that you you can't generate. On the two hand, the top two handers are super compact, ultra compact. I wish I had that. I, I love my one hander, but man, I wish I had that super compact backswing that two handers have. Because if you look at their backswings, I don't know how much you guys have studied high speed video, but I've studied a lot, and I, I love biomechanics. But that backswing is really compact, and the, you uh, players can generate the equivalent amount of force to a one-hander with a lot less backswing. So the, the, rack, the actual path of the racket is a lot smaller, a lot shorter than with the one-hander. I think that's a huge, huge thing because that means um, one-handed players have to give up more court position. They have to stand farther back in the court to give themselves more time, typically. Uh, it makes one-handers... Uh, more viable on clay or slower ball, uh, slower, you know, courts with slower moving balls. That that helps the one-hander, uh, typically, the ones with the large wind-ups. And basically, you see players who have to take these this really big wind-ups across the plane of the body because they, they're not able to generate the force that two hands can generate. You know, one arm is not able to generate the force, and using external rotation, they're not able to generate the force that, that you can generate with the two hands in a more compact package. And that's like a really big deal. That's a very good argument for the two-handed backhand. 
And that means that two-handed players can take the ball earlier, uh, they can have better court position, and they can, um, they can create the same amount of power or, or, or you know, similar amounts of power with, much, with a much shorter swing path using the force, using like push-pull forces, using a, um, uh, you know, just according to the laws of physics and biomechanics. Interesting. Uh, other details about one-hander versus two-hander. Well, you see with the one kind of interesting, I'm probably going to forget a few things, guys, because I'm just sort of riffing here. But look, w one of the things that's interesting is a lot of one-handed players have, have gravitated towards more extreme one-handed backhand grips to try. Why? Why do they do that? Like semi-Western one-handed backhand, really uh, extreme Eastern one-handed backhands. They're doing that because like I was talking about the collision of the modern game with the traditional one-handed stroke, the, the high balls, it helps you with high balls. So one of the compensations that you see in the modern one-hander, especially from clay court players, you have a lot of players on clay using a semi-Western one-handed backhand grip or a very strong Eastern one-handed backhand grip. And that helps you on the high balls, helps you generate more heavy, heavy spin, and it helps you sort of drive through more powerfully high kicking balls. So I think that's an adaptation. I just don't know if it's enough because you still have other liabilities. So players are doing that adaptation. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of like Team's backhand or, or um, Tsitsipas' backhand, who we started the program talking about because Tsitsipas has a pretty conservative grip that's pretty weak on high balls. The same with Team. Very, team has a very con like almost continental grip, like kind of amazing that he's able to even compete with that grip on the, in the modern game, dealing with high balls. But he does tend to like go way back in the court to let the ball come down with, with, uh, with that grip structure. Uh, Warinka is more of the kind of grip that I'm talking about, a little more extreme Eastern. And some of the clay court guys, like the, the South American guys, the guys who grow up on the dirt, a lot of times those guys will use a more semi, like literally semi-Western, like a Guga Quertin is the, Probably the best modern, you know, near modern example. Guga's retired, but you know, of a very semi-Western, powerful topspin, one-handed backhand grip structure that I think is a compensation to allow players to deal better with higher bouncing balls. Of course, that means there's a little bit of a problem on low balls on fast courts because that grip is pretty extreme. But interesting. Um, what else with the one-hander versus the two-hander? I think the stability issue is a real issue. You know, we talk about stability a lot, but when the serves come in at 130, 140, on high balls that are kicking up and away, you want to have that extra, extra stability. You want to be able to control the racket face. You want to be able to absorb the big pace of a fast serve. And the two hands allow you to do that better than just having, you know, you have just one wrist or two wrists. So you're having double the muscles here. You have double the muscles of your hands. You have the, all the muscles in your wrists and forearm that you use to stabilize the racket head. And the ball's coming in at a very fast speed or with very heavy spin, RPM. Having those extra, having the, that, those extra muscles to support the racket is, is important and helpful. It's not to say that you can't return a fast serve with a one-hander, but it's just player, I think players feel more secure and more stable in general when they're learning backhands with the two hands. And we know that when kids are young, they feel that 
when they feel more secure, more stable, it's a little easier to learn to hold, hold the stick with two hands. They feel that from the very beginning. And then that just sort of, you know, evolves into that. You can see that, that trend to the pro level. You can extrapolate that to the pro level where the ball's coming really, really fast or really, really heavy. And players also feel more comfortable, more stable, more secure with that extra, with those, those extra set of muscles helping. What else? You know, an, another one that um, a big, big advantage for the two-hander is, is where you can strike the ball in the hitting zone. So again, getting back to the speed of today's game. The, the game is so fast, the balls are often coming in and players are catching them late. And the two-hander, because you're using the back shoulder, the left shoulder, you're able to catch the ball a little bit later in the hitting zone. And you can still manipulate the ball with your left wrist. So what um, that often gives you is, number one, it can give you better disguise, so you can sort of flick balls at the last minute. You can also flick it with the one-hander, but you have to meet it out in front. Two-handers can literally let the ball come deeper into the strike zone later. They can let the ball come almost past them, and they can still hit it with their left side and use their left wrist to adjust the racket phase and to flick the ball because the left shoulder is farther back in the, you know, for lack of a better term, strike zone. When you're using that front shoulder, you have only a limited amount of space where you, you can't let the ball get by you too much or you just, you're not able, there's no way you can use external, uh, external shoulder rotation or wrist extension to curve the ball cross court. But you, using wrist flexion of the left wrist and using internal shoulder rotation, you have more uh, ability to, to flick the ball and change the direction of the ball even when, you're, when it's late. So that may not seem like a big deal. And that's not just theory. Like that, that's like actual biomechanics. Like it's, it's true. And that kind of matters at important junctures of a match. Like, you know, when someone attacks Djokovic with the powerful wide ball and he's able to stretch and flick have, he has a little more, maybe more stability out, out when he's doing that, that, that stretch and flick. And he can, he can literally take a ball that's later in the hitting zone and he can direct it better with the two hands using the left wrist. And one-handers just can't do that. One-handers can't let the ball get as deep in their hitting zone, which is a, big, which is a weakness, you know. And, and it, it matters in certain critical moments of, of a match or in certain critical situations in a point. Uh, you can still flick a one-hander, but it has to be, it can't be too late in your hitting zone. You can still flick it using the right wrist, uh, using the right shoulder, external shoulder rotation, and using right wrist extension. But you don't have as much range in that, in wrist extension as you do with wrist flexion. So you can use your left wrist and get a lot of wrist flexion to, to, to flick a ball late. But with the right wrist on a one-hander, you, you can't do that as much. You can't. You don't have as much range of motion, literally. You don't have as much ROM, and you don't have as much stability or power using just the, the one wrist versus the internal shoulder rotation and the wrist flexion of the left wrist. So there's, there's like these real like biomechanical differences and physiological differences that affect the, the stroke. And this, this getting back to like players feel that. They, they feel it. Another thing they feel is the open stance. Again, the game's getting so damn fast. So players by um, by necessity they need to use the open stance more frequently we've seen that on the forehand side the game has evolved so much now from 20 30 40 years ago 
everyone's doing open stands, you know, on the forehand. And the same thing's happening with the backhand. This is a true evolution of technique. And so on the backhand side, you see a lot of players using open stance backhand. You see Djokovic making incredible stretches and slides. Alcaraz does the same thing. Rude does the same thing. All, everybody. On the women's side, Osaka and, and Halep and, and um, you name your favorite player. You know, Sabalenka. Um, uh, thinking of like Emma Raducanu. Like you stretch wide and you're going to use the open stance. You can almost get into a split and you still have enough power and stability with the two hands to make a counter-punching shot or a defensive shot. And the one-hander just simply is not able to do that. So one-handers have to stretch and usually slice, you know, uh, to get that, that uh, to get the ball back, which is in some ways a liability. Um, that's a big one, the open stance. You see players like Warinka and especially Shapovalov. Like Shapovalov has, has more than anyone, is, is one of those slightly younger players who's evolved the one-hander. I, I think he's taken the one-hander to its highest modern level. Like, what he does with the one-hander is, is, uh, is not on this planet, like what he's doing. He does the many times the airborne jumping one-hander, which is really cool. Uh, he does open stance one-handers. He's extremely explosive and powerful with his one-hander. I just think Shapovalov demonstrates like what, like the highest example of a modern one-hander, and it's still, it's still probably attackable. You know, still guys can break it down, even how, as great as it is. Uh, Warinka sometimes will try to use open stance. A lot of guys, but the open stance with the one-hander again is not as uh, powerful or, or effective as the two-hander. It's really natural to go to uh, open stance with the two-handers, just like an open stance forehand, very similar, you know, very similar uh, uh, setup, uh, very similar footwork. And with the one-hander, you can definitely do it, but it's harder to juice it as much, and it, it doesn't usually feel as comfortable. The closed stance, I mean, it's amazing that that extreme closed stance on a one-hander is still viable in the modern game. The speed of the game, the, with the movement premium in the game, it's amazing that there's, there's even 10 or 15% of the guys left who are willing to close up their stances that much. You know, it's really interesting the way, because if you look at the modern one-hander, the, the stance is still extremely closed, and we don't see that closed stance in any other any other stroke, right? the forehands are really, really open now. Um, that those closed stances have, are are like a, from a bygone era. That we still see it on the modern one-hander. You still extreme closed stances, and when those players go open stance, I feel like you can loop it okay. Like you can step back and go open stance and kind of loop it like the way Sampras used to do at the French. But um, you can't really. You can't really hit it as powerfully with the open stance unless you're like Chapo or something. maybe he can do it. But for most people, it just doesn't feel as natural to like load up on the open stance. And you, you can't get as much because on the one-hander, you need to sort of stay a little bit more sideways than the two-hander. So you can't really get as much hip, hip rotation. Uh, you're not driving with the hips as much. So that's one of the reasons why it's harder to generate force with the one-hander from an open stance position, which is kind of interesting and definitely a liability. You need to have an open stance these days to compete. The game's just the, the movement premium, the, game, the speed of the game, you know. The way Alcaraz does it, open stance backhand, the way Djokovic does open stance backhand, or the way all the top guys do open stance backhand, and the women, that's the way to do it. And usually the two hands helps to do that.
So are there any advantages of the one-hander? Nobody chimed in to argue with me. <laughs> I, I, I used to always believe that the one-hander, you know, um, you get a little bit better volley. You get a little bit better coordination because you're using, you're always using that, that one arm, that one hand, that one wrist. There's always been an argument that you're going to get a better slice. You're going to get a better backhand volley. You're going to get maybe a little bit better transition uh, to the net. Um, but I don't think that benefit overcomes all the, the long list of, of, of the other stuff that I, that I said, the, the detriments, the other, the other things that are positives for the two-hander. And in fact, you see a lot of two-handers now, they attack the net very well. They transition very well. They have great slices and, and uh, volleys. So I think that's I think that's kind of a myth that's dying, that the idea that if you have a one-hander, it's going to like really enhance other parts of your game at the net and with the slice. I mean, you, I mean it makes some sense because of, you, you're, using, you're developing the highest level of coordination in one side of your body, right? You're leaving the, you're, you're leaving the other guy. You're, you're leaving the other arm sort of like dead weight. Um, but nevertheless... Two-handed players now are, are doing an awesome job um, overcoming that. You know, you have many, many great two-handed players who have um, really good slices, for example. It didn't always used to be like that. Like back in the day, I think like 80s, 90s, you had the, the one-handed player. There was still more parity. It was like 50% two-handers, 50% one-handers. And the argument back back in the day was always, you know, oh, the one-handers, you know, they transition better. They have better back and volley. They have a better slice. They have more variety. You know, you hear these arguments a lot. Uh, I just don't think it's true anymore. You, you see two-handers with the same amount of variety, the same amount of net prowess, the same level of net prowess, the same amount of uh, skill with the slice backhand. So obviously, no, they don't have more feel, bro. The two hand, you no, the two handers have great feel, you know. So I just think that that argument doesn't hold anymore. The game's changing, you know. The game. We're getting some comments on the show, guys. I mean, yeah, that's that's always been the argument. The one handers have more feel, you know. They have better slides. It's just like the two handers have overcome that. They're 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 most of the two handers. They do that just fine. And then plus they get all the other benefits the other way. Well, you know, you, you talk about Musetti's touch, but what about Alcaraz's touch? There's a guy, I mean, to me, I'd much rather have Alcaraz backhand and all the feel and touch he has than, than Musetti's, even though I think Musetti's backhand is gorgeous. You know, people have to not fall in love with the look of a one-hander because aesthetically, this is the real issue. Aesthetically, it's, it's pretty. It's long and flowing it's a bit complex. It has a little more complexity. It has more flavor than the two-hander, you know? The two-hander is it's kind of boring. It's kind of like functional. It doesn't look as it doesn't look as uh, as delicious and sexy as a as a beautiful one-hander. And everyone knows that. It's been written about in countless magazine articles and people talk about it all the time. But I feel that because something is aesthetically pleasing doesn't mean we should teach it to kids and doesn't mean it's better. And I think people should should be careful not to get 
not to fall in love with the one-hander because of the way it looks. Like I have students, sometimes they tell me, I say, why do you want to learn a one? I, I still teach them with some of, some of my students. I teach a beautiful one-hander. And I say, why do you want to learn a one-hander? Like, oh, I love the way it looks. I love Roger. I love the one, I love the, the it's really pretty. And like, I'm like, okay, like, I guess that's, a, that, that's, I, I guess that's a reason. But I mean, if it has all of the other detriments that I talked about, maybe, maybe you don't want to, it doesn't matter that it's pretty. Like you could have a pretty slice. Maybe have like like a really pretty slice and just keep all the good solid stuff in the two-hander. I don't know. We'll see, guys. We'll see the way the game develops. We got the next decade, next couple decades coming on coming up. I hope I'm I'm still healthy and here we can see, we can talk about it five or ten years at uh at a time looking out. But Man, I looked up the stats for women. I was like, I can't believe it. There's actually zero. Like, it's actually happened. It's ex the, the, it is extinct for women at the moment. Doesn't mean it can't, like, miraculously come back. But the one-hander's dead on the women's tour. And who, what, what woman has won a Grand Slam? The last one was, I think, Schiavone. She won the French, like, 10 years back, 2010, 2012. That's the last Grand Slam winner um, with the one-handed backhands. Like the women's tour, I think. I think the argument. I mean, a lot of you guys are arguing with me about the men's side. Okay, the men's side is still a little bit debate, but the women's side is like it's dead. Like you're almost crazy to teach your kid a one-hander if you if you got a girl, if you got a daughter, she's got to play with two. You got to teach her two hands, you know. But with men, we're we're getting closer and closer, you know. There's still a lot of holdouts on the one-hander, but we're getting closer and closer, guys. I'm one of the holdouts, but I'm telling you, you're down to about 10% here. So that means 90% of the guys making money, you know, making bank, they're all playing with two hands. You know, do they have all the advantages that I talked about? Is it making a subtle difference? You know? All right, guys. Um... Had some great comments. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the watches and the likes. And um, we've had some great uh, commentary on uh, the the shorter Prodigy Maker Minute video that I did about this same subject. So thanks for for sharing all the videos and for sharing your thoughts. Uh, we'll see. You know, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm hesitant to try to call it because usually you get burned when you make predictions like this. But I, I was just like looking at the stats. I was like, that's pretty shocking. And then also try to, if you're doing the research yourself, look at the age of the players because I think the age matters. So it's one thing to say that there's 10 15% of the men players with the one-hander. But what are their ages? Like how many are coming up who are young? The only guy probably is Musetti. Like, who, who are the guys coming up with a one-hander that are really, really good? Like, you start to look at the ITF juniors. Does anyone really have a dominant one-hander in in, you know, coming up who's young, like young guns? I think that's where you, you want to look. That's where the trend is revealing, especially revealing, you know, down at the, the younger age. What female player in, in her right mind would choose a one-hander right now? What coach would teach a one-hander to a girl right now? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, it's it's a real real it's a real tough call and and for the men you you gotta understand if a parent comes to you and says I want my kid to play with the two you you meant uh, we had a comment about domineering fathers I mean what it, if a parent came to you and said I want you to teach my my son a two hander because of the re some of the reasons I mentioned in the the video here I mean could you really argue with him I mean even if the kid wanted a one hander you you're kind of like I get it like I under I totally understand man it makes sense to me. 
uh, um, father wants his kid to make uh, money on the tour, make a good living, and 90% of the players on tour playing with a two-hander, you know, makes sense. Why take the risk on a one-hander, you know? It makes sense to me. I mean, when the game was 50-50, when they were like 50% one-handers, 50% uh, two-handers, you know, is a little more, you know, it's more of a better debate for the one-handed side. But now when you see that the, the one-handers really, the number's really dwindling, I don't know, guys. I think uh could be the end for the one-hander. We'll see, you know. I'll still teach a beautiful one-hander if the kid really wants it. Like, we had a comment here, you know, let the kids decide. Let them play their own game. And, I, and I, I've said that. I've made those same comments before, so I'm with you on that. But you gotta, you got to wonder the way the game's going. The game's changing. We have to recognize it's not the game of the 50s and 60s and 70s. The game is, is, is ever-evolving. And as high-performance coaches... We gotta. We have to evolve too, and give the kids the best tools to win. Ultimately, our job is not to create something pretty, but to give our kids tools that will give them the best chance to win nationals, to get a D1 scholarship, or to make a living on the tour. You know, that's our job as high performance coaches. That's what we do. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this Project Maker show. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. The new books coming out: uh, Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Two or a second edition. I'm very excited. I finally got that thing into the publisher. Have uh, I guess I can announce now. Have a forward by Emilio Sanchez, which is very cool. Have a, a forward by Emilio, uh, who is a very successful Spanish player and coach, and Luis Bruguera. So we're representing the Bruguera and the Sanchez lineages in Spain with uh, two forwards for the new book, and we have lots of new chapters. Very excited about that. I'm gearing up for a big summer camp season you know we have i think one of the best serious high performance summer camps in the world up here in the mountains of vermont beautiful in, the, in paradise and i work with all the kids personally and we even take young kids i build all the techniques of the young ones you don't have to be a top-ranked player you just have to be hard working and we train the spanish way and i i build the techniques of all the young players who come so i'm getting excited about our seventh Seventh summer in Vermont and our 17th year total. We did 10 years in New York. Um, and yes, the joke is if you want to learn a one-hander, I will teach it to you with some reservation. I'll teach you the most beautiful one-hander you've ever seen. But I will have a few reservations, a few doubts. I'm, I'm developing some doubts in my mind. Uh, so, yeah, we have this... Um, so a lot of people ask me, like, do I have to be a top-ranked player? No, you just have to be, like, really serious and coachable, and, and I'll build you. I'll make you into a top-ranked player as long as you're willing to work hard. So we got summer camp coming up, have lots of players visiting the academy here in Vermont. So most people think, oh, tennis is shit in Vermont. There's no, no one good. Even New England, people talk trash about New England uh, coaching. Well, I'm here now. I'm from New York City. But I'm here now, and we got a lot of players coming from all over the Northeast to train here in a little uh, ski town in Manchester, Vermont. So I think that's kind of cool. Word's getting out a little bit that I'm here, and we're doing a lot of good training. Got the number one girl in New England coming here. She's fantastic, and we have lots of other, you know, from young kids to top-ranked players. So I'm really proud of that. It's kind of growing the academy here. I've only been here for a couple of years, so it's starting. Word's starting to get out that uh, tennis in, in New England and especially in Vermont is not always shitty. And so come train with me whenever you want. 
And I, I really appreciate you guys supporting the, the channel, the YouTube channel. We're trying to get more subscribers. We would like to hit 10,000 subscribers, you know, in the next year or two. It's just like a personal goal. I do all these videos just in my spare time. I'm very busy on the court and with family. So I'm not like a professional YouTuber. So appreciate your support. So appreciate, appreciate you guys sharing the program and um, also following the podcast. I know a lot of you guys like to listen to the show when you're driving or, you know, when you're working out. I love to listen to podcasts when I'm working out, so I'm sure a lot of you guys are with me. I'll see you guys on the next program. Adios, amigos. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Vamos.